Yeah, it'd probably sound quite controversial. Um, well, people might not believe me, but I genuinely did want to go racing. It's a position I'd never been in before, and I really wanted to put myself under that pressure of trying to close out a world title. And to get that experience was invaluable and doesn't come around very often. So it definitely, yeah, would have been my preferred way of going out. Yeah, it was actually a race from school and who could get first on the water. A lot of us were biking in, so we'd have probably have a bike race from school to the uh, yacht club and mum and dad and stuff would meet us down there and open up and, and help us get on the water. But Richard would come out sometimes and, and lay some marks and sort of have a little bit of structure there, but yeah, not, not much. We just wanted to get out and, and stay out as long as possible. Yeah, I was obviously very disappointed and missing out on Tokyo and just needed some time to think about my future and, and I also yeah, needed distraction and, and quite a different goal and that was that was pretty out there but I'd always wanted to do one and it was yeah, as good as time me any to try it so yeah, gave it a go. weeks ago, Tom Saunders became just the second New Zealander to win the Laser World title in nearly 50 years of trying. It was a breakthrough result for the 29-year-old and sets him up nicely as he tries not only to go to his first Olympic Games in Paris in 2024, but also win a medal for his country. Tom has been on the circuit for the best part of a decade and talks about his experiences in that time, how he's coped with disappointments after finding success came quite early to him as a youngster, what was different about the last World Championships in Barcelona, and how he might not have even gone to the World Championships had he stuck to his original plan. He also delves into his background growing up in and around a group of young sailors in Tauranga who have gone on to achieve phenomenal success, what influence his brothers had on him, and how training for and racing in an Ironman event last year has helped shape his mentality as he commits to another Olympic cycle. Tom is a thoughtful character who clearly has a passion for the sport, which comes across in this podcast. He's also got a few good stories to tell, so I hope you enjoy. Well, joining us on the show today is Tom Saunders. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you. You've just arrived back in the country um, a couple of days ago, so you're presently in MIQ. Um, where are you and how's it going? Yeah, just flew in. We're uh, in a hotel facility in Auckland, which is nice. Um, had the same flight as the All Blacks, so I think that might have helped with our hotel star level. So I think we're in a five-star hotel, which is sort of a bit of a luxury, to be honest. Quite nice. Yeah, but that's also the luxury afforded a, a new world champion, isn't it? So I'm guessing a few All Blacks would have come up and queued for a, an autograph from the latest Laser World Champion on your flight home. <laughs> uh, I wish they were. They were up the front of the bus, so 
sitting in business class, so we didn't really get to chat very much. But yeah, pretty cool to share a plane alongside them. And um, and there's a few other. We had a tennis player on, Michael Venus, as well. Um, so quite a sporty plane. Very sporty. Well, it's been a, a couple of weeks now since you won the Laser World title in Barcelona. Has that uh, achievement sunk in yet? Yeah, a little bit more each day. Uh, there's definitely times where I get a bit emotional thinking about it or talking to friends and family. Um, I catch myself checking the results every now and then just to c- confirm it did happen. Um, but I think I really hit home once I get out of MIQ and, and start to see everybody. You've been a regular on the, the laser circuit, I guess, for about a decade now. So what did it mean to you to be able to achieve this at this stage of your career? Uh, it's hard to articulate into words, but obviously means a great deal. Something I've worked hard for most of my life, and I can take a lot of pride in my perseverance. Um, as you said, I've been on the circuit for yeah almost 10 years Um but, but knowing that, you know, you can't get here alone and I have a lot of gratitude for um, a number of people who have stuck by me and, and kept believing um, that, I, that I can still compete at the highest level. Um, so, yeah, pretty pretty awesome, really. Well, it's a pretty um, impressive list, I guess. You know, you're only the second Kiwi after Nick Burford in 1994 to win the world title. And if you actually look through... You know, some of those sailors who have won it, some of the big names of, of sailing um, throughout the time. And and plenty, I guess, of Kiwis have come close. And, and you only look at Andrew Murdoch. He was on the podium, I think, six times without ever winning it. Do, does that kind of, those sorts of stats illustrate to you not only how prestigious it is, but also how hard it is to win a Laser World title? Yeah, there's definitely some big names um, looking looking through the years. Um, and yeah, very honoured to put myself alongside them. Um, but yeah, we've had um, yeah a lot of Kiwis have had a lot of success in the lasers. Um, but yeah, as you said, Nick Burfitt is the only one to win it. Um, but yeah, like Andrew Murdoch, um, Mike Bullough, Andy Maloney, um, Sam Meach didn't quite get a podium, but obviously Bronze and, and Rio. So they've all sort of set the tone and, and it's definitely helped me throughout my career um, to, to train alongside all of those guys really um, and to push each other and and for them to really set the example of of what it takes to, to perform at the highest level. Um, so I've been pretty lucky to share yeah, some good some good training partners and some good experiences um, rubbing shoulders with a lot of those guys. So yeah, feel feel pretty lucky and very honoured to to finally get over the line for New Zealand again. What will it do for your mindset as you commit to another Olympic campaign? I'm guessing you're committing to another Olympic campaign. Yes, definitely committing. Uh, very motivating, for sure. And just more, a lot of reassurance and confidence in myself. Um, it's a much shorter cycle this time round, and I'm obviously very happy with my progression, particularly over this last few months, and I still have a lot of work to do. But yeah, definitely hungry for more success and, and that's probably the more exciting part. So let's just crunch down in a little bit closer. You won one race and you finished in the top four and five others. Um, what was the key for you to achieving this level of consistency and what is arguably the most competitive of the Olympic classes? 
I'd, I'd largely put it down to my mindset. Um, it's a confidence game with a lot of split-second decisions and very small margins, like a half a metre here or there can, can be the difference between first or thirtieth. And I felt like I was sailing with a, with a lot of freedom. I had a very clear and present headspace, which helped my decision-making process, and that obviously continue on to helping my consistency. Um, and the majority of our racing was an offshore breeze, which rewarded fleet and course management, a condition I, I really enjoyed, um, when to take leverage, when to consolidate. And I, I had a, probably had a click of speed downwind, which got me out of trouble a few times as well, or took a bit of pressure off, which is, which is always nice to have in your back pocket. Where did this freedom, this sense of freedom come from? Uh, well, I started working with Mike Bullo. He, he was coaching at the Europeans before that. And he continued on to, to coach at the Laser Worlds. And he just, he has a lot of confidence about him and a lot of experience having done it all before. Uh, and just a few cues and a few tips of things to think about. Uh, and we, yeah, we really worked hard on how I went into going into a race or into an event. And yeah, that obviously came into tuition. So yeah, very lucky to have him there with me. So you went into that final day holding, I think it was a 14-point lead over your, your closest rival, but no racing was possible on that final day, largely due, to, I think, to big swells. You know, what sort of range of emotions did you go through on that final day? Yeah, it was a pretty interesting day. I, I felt really calm all day. Uh, I probably had the best sleep I had all week was the night before, which is... Um, yeah, probably quite strange. Like, I was definitely nervous, but more excited than anything. I had a lot of messages coming in uh, over the week, and particularly that night and that morning, which is always really cool to feel that support from back home. And, yeah, I was prepared for three races, but each hour of delay, I had to sort of reset and was like, okay, today's a two-race day now, and how does that look, or what changes, uh, or a one-race day? kind of like a meta race situation yeah I was, I was trying to switch off but also stay quite engaged with how I was going to have to approach the racing um, and then yeah once the postponement finally was official and yeah it was pretty surreal a little bit anticlimactic I would definitely have liked to finish it off on the water but um, yeah really happy that I'd done enough throughout the week to to be in that position. Was it hard not to get ahead of yourself as the delays built up on top of each other and, and think, you know, this could be my title today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't catch myself thinking about it, uh, but you just got to try and, um, yeah, realise it, um, that that could happen, but also, yeah, throw it away and, and focus on um, what I need to do if we do hit the water. So still trying to keep present. Um, and not thinking too far ahead, for sure. I remember um, when the day you won and you did a bit of media work um, to talk to the New Zealand media about your, your success, and you, you talked about how you wanted to see how you reacted on that final day. Can you just sort of talk to me a little bit more about what you meant by that? Yeah, it probably sound quite controversial, um, or people might not believe me, but I genuinely did want to go racing. Uh, it's a 
position I'd never been in before and I really wanted to put myself under that pressure of trying to close out a world title and to get that experience is invaluable and doesn't come around very often so it definitely yeah would have been my preferred way of going out but yeah we were expected to have three races I would have preferred two or three Um, if we had one I would have been yeah under a bit more pressure as as uh, I knew Finn would be looking to come after me and take me out as my drop was higher than his um, and we needed two two more races for a second drop so yeah I would have preferred to do two or three one yeah was probably a bit more skeptical but um, yeah that, that was sort of my mindset going into it. You also talked about how you might not have gone to Barcelona at all had you stuck with your original plan. So what was the story behind that? Yeah, well, I had a MIQ isolation slot booked for Poster Worlds, which was originally scheduled for September. So with the delay in the current situation in New Zealand, there wasn't enough space for people to, to get home, basically. And the week of the Europeans, um, I was scheduled to fly home that following week. And there's another MIQ lottery um halfway through that event which which i tried again to secure uh but thirty thousand kiwis doesn't quite fit into three thousand rooms so i quickly came to the realization that if i decide to stay there's a very good chance i'm I'm not coming home and yeah i felt like i was sailing well um was a bit rusty to starting off the event as it was yeah first time racing in almost two years so missing out on the world champs would have been a pretty big blow and sitting at home watching the results knowing I could have been there didn't sit very well. So that was probably got me over the line. But yeah, it was a pretty close call, to be honest. It's obviously all worked out well because you're sitting in MIQ now. But would you have been prepared to, you know, remain in Europe into February, March next year? Yeah, uh, that was yeah something I was definitely preparing for. Um, Luckily, I have uh, my brother, Jace. He lives in La Rochelle um, and has a good setup there. So at least I had some some family to, to go back to, uh, worst case scenario. Um, so, yeah, I was prepared for for, for that option. Um, but, yeah, still hopeful that uh, New Zealand sorts their MIQ situation out and we can, um, we can get us all home. So yes, you did quite well at those European Championships, didn't you? I think it was sixth, um, and which was your first international regatta um, that you'd done since what the World Championships in Melbourne in March 2020. Was it strange to get back into racing at the, that level after so long away? Yeah, it was. It was more exciting. Uh, you don't really sometimes you don't realise how much you miss it and can and can take it for granted sometimes. So. Uh, Sure, I was definitely uh, lacking a bit of race sharpness around the course early on, and that and that showed in my results. So I had to try and rely on a bit of experience to find my feet and, and grind my way back into the event, uh, which I had a, a really good uh, gold series, and yeah, just tried to continue on that and going into the world. Did you feel like it was a big commitment to go to Europe that early? Because I guess you know there were very few Kiwis traveling overseas at that point. And there was also a fair bit of um, apprehension, I guess, about re-engaging with the outside world. Yeah, sure. It's definitely a, a bit of a risk. Um, 
but personally what I really wanted to get out of the year was to was to learn and, and try and upskill and put myself out there, uh, get myself out of my comfort zone and, and try and chase some other sailing and and get involved in um, anything I could get my hands on, really. And Europe was, yeah, the only place that, that had that on offer. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a big commitment and it was my longest trip, trip away uh, in Europe in my career actually so yeah quite a big call but um yeah happy that I did it and and took it on and and put myself out there and tried to tried to take what I could out of the year. So what's brought you back for another shot at the Olympics because you've missed out on the last two um to to Sam there's only obviously one spot for um each Kiwi um to be able to compete at the Olympics what's brought you back for another shot? Uh, definitely still passion. Yeah, I have a lot of passion for the sport and I feel like I have a lot more to give. So at the end of the day, yeah, it was, it was a pretty simple decision. How will you attack this cycle any differently from, from previous attempts? We've obviously got the spectre of COVID in the background and, and the world's a bit different, but is there a, a different mentality or, or approach this time around? Yeah, definitely trying to take more ownership of my campaign and, and figuring out what's important for me. And going into this year, I just really wanted, I put a big emphasis on learning and upskilling, and that was a huge priority of mine. And to try and get myself out of my comfort zone and and chase some other sailing. Um, I feel like I've been probably a bit too one-dimensional in the past. And looking at the likes of yeah, Pete, Blair, JJ, Andy, and all the variety of sailing they've done at such a high level uh, blows my mind, really. And how they manage their time with different campaigns is, is pretty remarkable and something I definitely want to try and follow on. And, and yeah, the more sailing I can do, I think it can only help um, in any direction I decide to head in. So, yeah, definitely want to try and um, get involved as much as I can. Well, have you ever sort of contemplated, I guess, a different class? Because I think if memory serves me correctly, you crewed for Erica Dawson when winning a national 49er FX title one year. Is that right? Yeah, that's a bit of a throwback. Uh, I've definitely considered it. Yeah, post-Rio, I spent the best part of six months sailing a 49er, um, which was a lot of fun, but ultimately ventured back to the laser. Seemed to be a sucker for pain and, and hiking, so... But no, I really enjoyed the racing and the tactical side of it, which which yeah brought me back and and yeah it's a an area where I feel I have the, my best strength. So um, yeah, blazes the way forward for this cycle. So when you talk about other sailing, what what do you mean? Uh, well, just looking at a lot of the circuits in the world right now, with like the TPs, RCs, obviously Sail GP, and the whole foiling uh, things taken off. Um, over the last few years and yeah just to try and be a part of a team and and learn from a team and and how they operate and the processes that they go through with debriefing and um, there's just there's just so many skills and um, areas where I feel like I can improve on and and learn from and yeah to be a part of um, a team like that or something would be yeah really awesome to to be involved with. 
We've just sort of learned this week that, um, you know, international travel is probably going to be opening up a lot more next year. But do you feel that um, you're going to need to be away from home for extended periods and that maybe you could sort of dovetail a, a laser regatta or a couple of regattas with some other sailing on the side? Yeah, definitely something I would look at going off this year um, to try and try and base myself in Europe again. And yeah, just logistically, it it makes things a lot easier. Um, minimising a lot of travel, travel can get I feel like it can get quite tiring. Um, and to try and set myself up in Europe somewhere with a base and um, sort of make some sort of a home would be would be quite nice. Um, and yeah, really go a long way in helping my my sailing with my Olympic campaign. Or if some other sailing pops up, then I'm um, in the right part of the world really to to say yep I'm here and, and I'm keen. You just talked about you're a bit of a sucker for pain of, of the hiking and and the back and, and the strains and things it just how hard is it sailing a laser and how hard is it to do well in a laser? Uh, yeah there's there's just a lot of depth uh, arguably yeah the toughest class in the world um, I mean you need to start well you need to have a great first beat, even better first downwind, select the right gate and be almost faultless on the second beat. And then maybe you might be able to relax a little bit going down the last run. Um, yeah, just our racing is just so close and, and yeah, just such a, such a great depth. Um, yeah, it's quite easy. You, you could be first or, or 20th the next week. Um, yeah, so I'm probably slightly biased there, but um, yeah, it's a difficult class to to race and and difficult class to get away when you are racing in from the pack, and that's why it's so competitive. And what sort of toll does it take on your body? Yeah, physically quite demanding, um, especially the older you get. Trying to get under the boom and hiking not great for the knees or or the ankles or the back for that matter, but. Uh, yeah, it definitely keeps you in shape and and you need to be in good shape to be able to perform across across the board in all conditions. But logistically, you're probably a, a one massive advantage, isn't it? You can just rock up to a regatta and they've got a, a chartered boat already for you. You don't have too much um, extra luggage on long-haul flights. Yeah, logistically, very easy. Um, being a one-design class and, and, yeah, like you say, we, we get chartered boats for the, for the world's. But in saying that one design, it's every boat is not exactly the same. Uh, like, yeah, your mass rate might differ ever so slightly. Or, or this time around at the Worlds, they had three different suppliers, so there's actually three different boats, uh, which was yeah first time um, for the laser class or Ilka, I should say. Uh, so you gotta you gotta be able to adapt and and set your boat up with with what you've got for that week. Um, yeah, just might have to adjust your setup slightly or your technique, depending on what mass rate you might have. So there's still a few small things that you got to got to change. But yeah, it's nice to just pack your boat up and hand it back in at the end of the week and not worrying about shipping it off again. Well, we've probably got a a, a good point now just to to look back a little bit. You know, I always like to sort of backtrack and and get people's stories of how they got to where they are because. Um, there's obviously a lot more to you than just one Laser World title. What's the brief version of your story and, and how you got into the sport? 
Uh, my papa had a yacht which he used to go cruising on when he retired, and he was passionate about it. Um, but mum and dad never sailed, and for whatever reason, they took my brother Jason and I down to the club one day and tried to get us into it. I wasn't really a fan um, early on. I was probably more into soccer at that point, but there were some pretty handy spot prizes, which I used to win, uh, which probably kept me going for for the first year. <laughs> Gotta love a spot prize. Do they score? Do they still give you spot prizes? Uh, there was actually one spot prize at our Worlds this year, which was a sale, and I happened to draw it out and picked out George Gautry. <laughs> Redraw. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure how everyone felt about that, but. So you, you mentioned your brother, your older brother, Jason, who's an Olympian. He was uh, fourth in the NACRA 17 at the Rio Olympics with Gemma Jones. How much did having him around at a young age push you along? Yeah, I definitely owe a lot of my success to him, particularly at a young age. Uh, if you know us well or well enough, you know we're extremely competitive. And it doesn't really matter what we're doing. We, we certainly want to win and we certainly want to beat each other. Uh, most of the time in a in a healthy way, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of respect there, and and we push each other every day to get better. Um, but yeah, Jace being the older brother probably took the blunt of the pressure early on. Not that we had any expectation from mum and dad or or anybody else, but he was always probably the test dummy, so to speak, and and I would just follow along, and I'd always compare myself to him, and Jace being two years older than me. Uh, I quite quickly stood out from my age group as I was just trying to compete with with his age group at the end of the day. But it wasn't just him, was it? There was Peter Burling, there was Sam and and Molly Meach. You know, what was it about that towering crew at that time uh, that just has led to so much success? Yeah, it was a really good group of people and, and a good group of parents, which kept the environment fun. Uh, we did a lot of sailing and they had a lot of freedom. Uh, not really any of the parents had any idea other than maybe Richard Burling about sailing. They just pushed us off and away we went. So, yeah, power to the group. And we had a lot of success, which which obviously fueled us along, but just a lot of lot of freedom and no expectations, no coaching. We're just, we're just out there enjoying ourselves and, and learning as we go. So what, what, how did it work? You just rock on up and because they didn't have WhatsApp groups in those days, you just everybody cruised around after school and you went sailing. Yeah, it was actually a race from school and who could get first on the water. Uh, we ended up, a lot of us were biking in, so we'd have, probably have a bike race from school to the uh, yacht club and mum and dad and stuff would meet us down there and open up and, and help us get on the water. So we're definitely always trying to maximise our, our time on the water and, and yeah, they're just, Richard would come out sometimes and, and lay some marks um, and sort of have a little bit of structure there, but yeah, not not much. We just wanted to get out and, and stay out as long as possible. When did you get a sense that maybe what you guys were doing was working and what you were doing meant that you were actually pretty good at what at sailing? Uh, the the Burlings always had an idea of of what what. The, schedules were or what was happening in Auckland like we had no idea that there were nationals or, or other events happening in Auckland and yeah Pete would probably be the first to go and had a lot of success and sort of 
we saw that and and tried to continue on and, and follow on with them and um yeah so going up through the through the opti fleet that those initial first few years um was yeah we quite quickly realized that uh we we can perform and and compete with the best in the country well perform you did because what 2006 you went to the opti world champs in uruguay with the new zealand team I think there was even Chris Steele and your and Marcus Hansen in your team that year, um, and then later that year um, you're in an American team that won the Etchells World Title in Perth. Um, how did that come about? Because I'm guessing you're about 14 years old at that time. Yeah, still very young. Um, Woolsey, uh, Andrew Wills, he was our coach at the time for the for the Opti Worlds, and he'd coached me in the past at other my first international events really so we we had a good relationship and he was still doing a lot of pro sailing at the time and was into the actual fleet and his crew yeah were about 45 kilos underweight so (laughs) that sort of fitted perfectly with me and and they asked me along and yeah I was very lucky to be involved it's such a cool experience to 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 do that and be a part of that team they wouldn't have won without you though right no I was definitely up on the bow calling the line and telling how far away they are but not they're listening to me but yeah lucky charm maybe and the following year you did the tanner and tauranga cup double in the p class you know what sort of ambitions i guess would you have had at that stage and you know realizing maybe how good you could be yeah at that time i was probably still split between soccer and sailing and eventually yeah, had to make the decision on which sport I'd focus my time on, um, as I was pretty invested in both at the time. But yeah, that was probably a more of a realization that looking at some of the names on on the trophy, um, yeah, probably definitely influenced my decision and and realized that yeah, maybe I do have a career in sailing. Were you a particularly focused sort of youngster? You know, people talk about you now as being pretty level. Um, were you sort of pretty focused as a as a younger Tom Saunders? Uh, yes and no. Sport definitely had my full attention. Um, mum and dad would, well, particularly mum, she'd, she'd try and pay me to read books or um, keep me inside um, to yeah to keep my learning elsewhere. But I was always wanted to be outside with a ball or or anything like that. So yeah, in terms of sport, yeah, I, I loved it and couldn't get enough of it um yeah which might sound controversial <laughs> still need to still need to go to school kids <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you're listening to this outside of school hours um in, in 2010 you you went to the youth world championships in istanbul as part of the um the new zealand team and you won gold in the the laser radial just, just talk to me, I guess, about what that experience was like for you. Yeah, that was probably my first real taste of success on the world stage, and and that's the closest thing to the Olympics at that age with the with the youth world. Definitely a lot of hype around it, and yeah, it got very real probably at that time, and that was a a big stepping stone for my career uh, and my projection. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to 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 be a part of that team and and to perform i think sam 
won it the the year before and obviously that that Tauranga connection did that help you know was he able to sort of talk to you about what you could expect when you got to a youth worlds yeah definitely he I think he had bronze the year before that as well uh and yeah I think JJ was second maybe a couple years before that um so yeah definitely had a lot of people that had been to the the youth worlds and and performed and yeah, they they always give you a helping hand of what to expect and what to do, maybe what not to do. So yeah, it always helps for sure. So you win the the world title. Did you assume success would then come at senior level? Yeah, absolutely. It was probably in hindsight, it's probably the worst thing that happened to me, which is quite strange to say. But I think yeah, it happened maybe too early and maybe too easy in my career. Um, not saying I didn't deserve it, but yeah, the next few years was a bit of a shock to the system and and how hard the senior level is. And, and at the end of the day, yeah, hard work beats talent and everyone's working bloody hard. So yeah, I had to mature fairly quickly and, and you certainly can't rely on talent to get you through. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How did you sort of cope? Because, you know, your first world championships in a full rig in 2011, you were... 82nd I think it was and then and it wasn't until 2017 that you achieved a top 10 result at a laser world championship so I'm, I'm guessing they weren't the results you were hoping for no and that's and that's all part of the process and and all part of the journey I mean it was yeah it was difficult I grew up uh winning a lot and continued for to continue for a few years without not much success and just taking the marginal gains was certainly hard to take and but yeah I always had the belief that that I could do it and that's um yeah where I've started yeah you've got to work pretty hard obviously so that sort of helps shape to the person that I am today. Have there ever been times when you've been close to maybe giving it away and, and try something different? Not really um Chris Steele, a good, good mate of mine who I grew up sailing with and against. We, we had a few conversations. Uh, he had some good success down the match racing scene. Um, but, yeah, it was always about sailing. Um, but he was always the first one that backed me to, to keep going and, and stick at it. So, yeah, not really any doubt. I guess in this country a lot of people, sports people, are defined by their success or otherwise at an Olympics. Um, and there are just so many people behind that trying to get there firstly and then try to, to win a medal. How tough is it to get to the top of a sport like sailing? Yeah, it's incredibly tough, like, like any sport, but, but it's, it's, we, it's what we love to do. And, yeah, it can be incredibly demanding at times. And you can go through periods where, it feels like everything's going against you, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. And yeah, without without the lows, the highs wouldn't be as high. So yeah, it's important to love what you do. And if you love what you do, then it makes all the hard work um, pretty easy. What about the the lifestyle? Do you enjoy that? Because you know, up until the last couple of years, you you've constantly been on the move. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, being away from home can be quite difficult. And yeah, like I said before, the, the traveling can get can get quite tiring. Um, incredibly lucky to to see some of the places around the world that we that we do. 
Um, but yeah, it's just trying to create a base away from home and something that I tried to um, articulate this year and something that I'll look at into the next few years of trying to set up. So at least you feel like you might have some sort of a home or something to go back to in between events because it, yeah, it can get pretty lonely on, on the road. What sort of advice would you give you know someone contemplating a, an Olympic campaign or or even a advice you'd give a young Tom Saunders? Uh, don't be afraid to talk to people. People love to help and talk about their experiences. Um, that's something yeah I've taken on a lot in the last few years. Something I wish I started on, started doing earlier on. Um, yeah, just talking to people, pick up the phone. Everyone's everyone's keen for a coffee and a chat, so uh, that would be that'd be one. And and yeah, the second would you just got to have a lot of passion and make sure you enjoy the journey. Everyone's journey is slightly different, um, and yeah, it's just you just got to enjoy it and love it. Good advice. Well, you took a bit of a different journey last year. Uh, you took a break after the last Olympic cycle and um, got into Ironman. So what was the story behind that? Yeah, that was a turn of events. Uh, I, I just needed some time away, really, and to reassess and process the last few campaigns. Um, yeah, I was obviously very disappointed and missing out on Tokyo and and just needed some time to think about my future and, and what, what, what really happened and how can I go about it moving forward. So, and I also, yeah, I needed distraction and, and quite a different goal, and that was that was pretty out there. But I always wanted to do one, and it was yeah, as good as time any to try it. So, yeah, gave it a go. And your brother signed up as well. Eventually, he did. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I was the first to take the plunge. But I knew I knew he'd be signing up eventually. Um, and yeah, that, that obviously helped me get out of bed in the morning. But. We both we both had a time in mind which which we wanted to do and um and yeah to share the experience with him was a great feeling and um I was always up against it trying to keep him behind me but yeah it's pretty cool. Do you obviously need to do a lot of training for an Ironman? Just I guess maybe talk to us about how much training you did for this. Yeah, it's it's incredibly addicting. The the more the more training you do, the more obsessed I got basically. Um, and yeah, you, you, you're putting in some pretty logging in some pretty big weeks up to 20, 25 hours, um, which yeah is fairly consuming. And that's basically all you do: you, you eat, you train, and you sleep, and you repeat. Um, but yeah, like I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that aspect, and I joined a North Harbour Tri Club, um, which was a great community and a great environment. Met a lot of different people and. Um, nobody's got egos and they're out there putting in the work so a breath of fresh air basically to, to be involved with a group like that um, and yeah it certainly helps with, with all the hours um, on the bike and, and running if you can do that with other people then yeah that's awesome we certainly have a lot of time to think you know when you're looking at that black line at the bottom of the swimming pool or the dotted line on the road as you're on the bike did, did you come to sort of any conclusions uh, about your sailing career as you were training and perhaps even racing? Yeah, you certainly have a lot of time, um, a lot of hours on the bike or yeah, in the pool or running. 
it's amazing where your mind uh, might wander when you're when you're out there on the road or um, by yourself. So yeah, definitely it helped a lot with my thought process and and figuring out what what's going to be best for me in the future. And yeah, it's amazing where your mind can go and what you can force your mind to do. Um, so yeah, it's something I definitely wouldn't change. And really happy that I went down this path and and tried something different and put myself out there and and yeah, it's really helped with my sailing and and in life basically. Talk to me about the race day. You know, you talked about uh, having a, a goal in mind. Um, what was that, and what was the experience like on the day? Yeah, I had a goal, um, which was to go under ten hours. Um, also, trying to keep my brother behind me, but I was up against it to do that. But yeah, it was probably one of the best experiences I've had. Uh, it's it's more than just a race. Everyone's there, has their own journey of getting there, their own reasons of why why they're doing it, which makes the atmosphere just just really really special. And and I had a lot of friends and family come down to watch. And yeah, you go through some some pretty dark places throughout the day. Um, but yeah, all those little things that you've done in training or all the support there on the day just really help to get you through. And yeah, there's just no better feeling than crossing that that finish line. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing experience. I'd I'd recommend for for anybody. Did you beat ten hours? Nine fifty eight. Perfectly <laughs> so timed. We scraped we scraped Jan. Yeah. But I don't. Maybe people who don't understand Ironman might not appreciate how fast that is. You know, we're talking about the elites doing it in just over eight hours here. Um, so to be so close, you guys must have been motoring. Uh, yeah, we well, we certainly put a lot of time in. That's for sure. Um, yeah, no, no easy feat, but if you if you put in the work, then yeah, good things can happen. Will you do another one, or do you have any other ambitions on your list? Oh, definitely, definitely. You you learn so much in that first one, and you think of a lot of different ways you you go about it di- differently. Uh, and I actually qualified for Kona this year, which was quite a difficult decision to turn down and something, yeah, I'd love to try again one day and be able to race there. It's, it's pretty iconic. Um, yeah, is it weird to say that I miss, miss the training? <laughs> a little bit, but um, probably quite a good decision in the fact that you've uh, ended up with a Laser World title um, as, a, as a consolation prize. Yeah, can't complain. Did it teach you anything that you can apply to your sailing career? Yeah, probably more mental toughness than anything and and being able to control your mind um, and how important nutrition and recovery is. Like you're, you're putting in some big weeks, as I said, and, it's, and it just shows how important it is to get all the little things right with yeah, refueling your body or recovering. So... You definitely notice that throughout the week, if if you haven't quite got that right, then um, you're certainly going to suffer in the training over the coming days. And did the training on the body help uh, make you stronger, I guess, for the boat as well? Uh, certainly fitter. I mean, my, my endurance was good, but I lost a lot of weight doing it. So uh, I got down to, yeah, about 77 and... Yeah, weight range in the laser. Um, probably the average weight is closer to 85 now. So, 
certainly needed um, to put on the weight back uh, once I stopped. So, um, but yeah, certainly endurance goes a long way as our as our events are, go over a, a week period. So, I think that definitely helped. But yeah, um, need to put on some muscle and a bit more weight. Now, I'm guessing you got a bit of time on your hands over the next few days. Um, as you're in MIQ, but have you sort of given thought to what next year is going to look like? Have you mapped it out uh, in terms of regattas you you want to get to when you might start touring again and competing internationally? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's pretty busy. Um, yeah, definitely keen to continue my Olympic campaign to Paris um, and looking to yeah base myself in Europe again next year. So we'd, yeah, just sort of planning that phase now about what events. Um, might work but yeah probably the first one will be Palmer in March and then uh, our world champs are in are in May following that in Mexico and and then yeah still need to spend a bit more time in Marseille which is the Olympic venue um, and yeah hopefully try and piece a few other bits of sailing together uh, throughout the year that'd be awesome. So beyond this Olympic sort of cycle, have you got sort of plans uh, longer term? You know, where do you see yourself in, in a few years' time? Definitely, definitely like to stay in sailing, and and yeah, I'd love to be a part of a, a bigger team and get involved with some of the circuits around the world. Um, yeah, like laser sailing is, is awesome and it teaches a lot of things, um, but it's always down to you and to to be a part of a team and and to learn from. Yeah, a lot of different people would be would be pretty cool. So that's something that I'll definitely try and pursue, uh, and try and pursue over the next few years as well to try and set me up for, um, yeah, whatever happens post twenty twenty four. Coaching. Yeah, I still enjoy a lot of coaching. Um, that's something I have a lot of passion about. Um, and yeah, something I continue to do when I'm when I'm back home. Uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it and. Yeah, it actually forces me to think about what I actually do when I'm trying to explain to the kids. So it, I think I learn just as much as them at times. Well, we're sort of coming towards the end of our, our chat, but there's one um, thing I do need to ask you. The, your profile on the World Sailing page says your nickname is Greg Norman the Shark. Please explain. Really? How did that get in there? I think I've been hacked. I don't know who's put that in there, but um, yeah, I'm a big golf fan, so any day on the course is a good day. Uh, that's probably where the name comes from. And there's some fierce competition amongst the sailors, so you need to take your best stuff if you want to take me on. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Still um, dazzle them with your juggling skills with a footy ball as well? Yeah, yep, anything with a ball, I'll be, I'm happy. Well, that's excellent. Um, look, Really appreciate your time um, today. I know you've got a bit on um, bit of time available, but do appreciate uh, you joining Broadreach Radio today. But um, just before you go, we do need uh, your story of your worst wipeout ever, please. Yeah, I thought about it. Um, probably going to have to go with a P class situation. Um, for those that don't know what a P class is, it's a it's a national boat and pretty iconic and a lot of history but the things are built like a catapult um, as you're trying to bear away around a top mark and 20-25 knots of breeze uh, there's only one way that that bow's going and it's going straight down and it's just going to flick you over the over the front so I've had some pretty good 
um, wipeout than that. But yeah, probably the one was was off Charanga Harbour actually, and quite a big westerly with a with an incoming tide, so the waves were quite quite steep. Then yeah, I just remember trying to be away around the top mark, let your van fully off right at the back of the boat, and sure enough, the, the bow goes down the wave and it just keeps driving and you get flicked right over the front and and ends up going through the sail. So yeah, I don't think Dad was very impressed. Well, it all ended up all right, didn't it? Because you uh, ended up with the tanner and towering a cup double. So at least you could say to Dad, you know, trying to push the push the envelope a little bit worked. Yeah, definitely. I don't think he saw it that day, but yeah, hopefully he sees it now. Well, very good. Well, look, um, all the best for the next few days in MIQ. Um, I know it's um, it's not easy, but um, it's also nice to have you back in the country. So. Um, Congratulations again for your win a couple of weeks ago, and we look forward to seeing you out in the water soon. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, look forward to getting out of MIQ and and seeing everybody. Can't wait. Well, that's it for another episode of Broadreach Radio. Thanks for tuning in. It's hard to believe we've now done 41 episodes since setting this up when New Zealand first went into lockdown in April last year. As always, please let me know if you have any feedback or suggestions by emailing michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. It's always great to hear from you. Until next time, take care.